Um, welcome to Film Baddies. This episode's co-host is Shauna. We met a couple years ago on the set of Inequality. Yes, you were the assistant director? Is, was that mm-hmm. your position? Yes, yes. Yeah. So that you was were the a, lead. A very long day. <laughs> it was. I remember it as a two-day shoot, which it was not. No, it probably should have been. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you were on it and keeping everything going. So I was like, very thankful to have your presence on set. <laughs> <laughs> As we all like slowly lose our minds at hour 14, 15, yes. 16. Yeah, it was, uh, but yeah. It, it was, it was a cool vibe. Uh, so yeah, I'm an actor. Uh, my name is Shauna Pinkett. I am currently working on staying sane in quarantine because there's, not a lot going on in the industry, although thankfully I've, I have had a few auditions virtually and self-tapes, which has been a blessing, but nothing really shooting or production-wise going on from in my life. And in general, it's been, I think, a bit slow, obviously, because of quarantine and COVID. But prior to that, I was I had a great beginning of 2020. I actually... <laughs> was on uh, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I did the history of Will Smith with uh, Jimmy Fallon and Will Smith. So it was a great start to the year. And now here we are. <laughs> yeah. So I had asked if you were doing any voiceover because that's something that seems to still be going through quarantine. That is a great, a great, that is a great question. <laughs> Hello, I can speak. I... <laughs> I had one voiceover audition, but I'm actually not officially a voiceover artist, although that is something that I am now starting to get into. I've taken a class with SAG-AFTRA. They give wonderful free classes for their union members. I've taken actually a couple classes with them now. So I'm just working on getting set up with that because that is one of the things that has been very busy during quarantine. So I'm just playing catch up in that aspect but otherwise <laughs> i've been staying fresh as far as a lot of open calls that have been happening i'm still taking acting classes on zoom and i still have what's online still uh, the return of the huxtables is a web series <laughs> i did a few years ago if anyone has run out of all the things to watch on netflix hulu and hbo max and all those things you can just go to it's on Vimeo actually I think but it's the return of the Huxtables and uh, it has nothing to do with Bill Cosby to be clear it's Huxtables <laughs> is a descriptive term for an upwardly mobile black family and I am a very quirky doomsday prepper sister so my character would be thriving right now right yeah. anyway living in the past here we are <laughs> you're like relevant to what's going on right now yeah um, well, this episode, we're going to talk about two people who are in overlooked departments. We don't really talk a lot uh, about sound or post-production. I know it's called Film Betties, and we focus on like women and non-binary individuals in the industry, but ultimately, we're interested to talk about underrepresented um, individuals and departments. So that's where Willie fits right in, because he is, he is in sound and has been been in sound for at least five decades and had a really successful career he's even won an oscar i believe and still like nobody knows who he is Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's actually the second most nominated 
black person in the uh, Academy Awards after Quincy Jones. Which, like, that's amazing. Yeah, and... That's a lot of awards. <laughs> most people have never even heard of Willie D. Burton. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, which goes along with... We'll give some background information on sound, and then we'll talk more about his longstanding career because he's he's done sound for so many movies that everybody knows. When I was looking at his IMDb, I was blown away. Like, what? I would have never known that he did Shawshank, you know, or The Help, which I guess is a questionable movie. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I haven't seen it. It just, it didn't strike me as something I, I'd want to watch. But, but now I read about it. I'm like, okay, well, it was all right to miss it. Yeah, I mean, I, I drank the Kool-Aid, I read the book, I watched the movie, and then maybe a couple years ago after watching Green Book, I oh, yeah. realized oh, that uh, most of the movies that I have seen are focused on uh, white savior stories, and mm -hmm. The Help is one of them. Yeah, I, I did see Green Book in theaters, hoping that it would be good, and was like, man, they really could have gone so much farther with Mahershala's character but oh but it's not about him it's about Vigo so it is so. oh Tuesday I okay so I guess people can't see me I am a black woman if you can't yeah. tell by my voice and <laughs> many people can't and when Mahershala or his character through was being taught how to eat chicken Fried chicken, I just, my soul turned inside out. I, like, I left the theater like, why, why was this movie a thing? And then I'm reading reviews by like older white reviewers who are like, wow, that was such a good movie. And I'm like, oh, that's why. Because you guys have a really low standard of yeah. what's a good movie. Yeah. But anyway, Willie D. Burton did not work on that movie. Right. But no. I think... I yes. think that was an important discussion we had about Green Book. People Critical need to detour. know. Problematic. <laughs> Highly problematic. Okay. <laughs> Very. But yeah, so the history of sound, the late 1890s, we saw like the creation of movies. And then it wasn't until the late 1920s where sound uh, was a factor. It wasn't like music being played during a silent movie. Sound was now arriving. And it took a long time i think they worked throughout the 20s and 30s to really get sound on film to exist in a slightly easy way but because of how the equipment was it was really restrictive so you can't really follow an actor on stage with this big clunky recording device so what they would often do which we still do today is like record the dialogue afterwards and dub it in i think it's also just interesting to step back and think we take sound for granted it wasn't an issue in our generation to watch films that had sound immediately attached and i think it's it was really helpful for me to sort of read up on the history of sound and that it was this huge revelation to have an actor say a few lines and do a speech in a film <laughs> in the 1920s <laughs> as part of a, just a moving image Mm hmm. Yeah. 
and they didn't think that it was going to last like a lot of new technology even today where we're like no one's gonna sign up for facebook and then you know millions of people have facebook but it was the same sort of thing they thought like it's going to cheapen the art of cinema or it's just not gonna catch on and and obviously today there's very very rarely a silent gap in film it's filled with music or dialogue or you know something exactly but the first film i do want to talk about is the jazz singer because it <laughs> it is a very popular movie because it was like the first one where sound on film occurred but it was also a movie that has an extraordinary amount of blackface because the lead is a white Jewish man who's putting on blackface to perform for white audiences. So it's a very, um, it's weird to look on it now and be like, yeah, it's this great sound film, but historically not great content wise. I haven't seen the jazz singer. However, it has been remade several times, I think at least three times in modern day. And from what I was understanding from the plot, blackface is actually integral to the storyline because the character played by Al Jolson is a Jewish man and him doing blackface is part of his acceptance into, or his assimilation, I should say, into the mainstream society. Am I getting that plot correct? Do you know? Yeah. So I saw it when I was in school a few years ago, so I don't, it's not totally fresh, but yeah, I think the gist is that like he had more acceptance putting on blackface than being a Jewish performer, which is like mind boggling. It's how, wild. How backwards society is. Yeah. So it is, it is quite problematic. It's still ranked as one of the top 100 films by AFI, I believe, yep. because of its yeah. innovation. Yep. But so is Birth of a Nation. And I think we all know that's highly problematic. Right, right. So yeah. it's yeah, acknowledging the history, but you also have to acknowledge the, the problematic beginnings of Hollywood. So here we are mm -hmm. once again. <laughs> yeah, and you see it still exists to today. We still have issues. Um, so sound on film becomes more popular in the late 1930s and then TV comes around in like the 50s and 60s, which obviously has sound. And generally sound on film became the new normal until the 1970s when we leveled up to Dolby surround sound. Yes. Thanks to George Lucas. <laughs> yes. So no wonder George Lucas is so paid. He was innovative in <laughs> yes. several ways, not only the originator and creator of Star Wars, but also right. uh, engineering, engineering this new way to hear sound because it was it was played in mono before. Which is crazy to me because, again, like I grew up with movies that are in stereo and surround sound and... I can't imagine if it was just the same track in the left and right speaker my whole life, you know? I don't even know what that would sound like. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Yeah. So it's really cool that we 
stereo came in the 1970s and then in the 2000s dolby developed atmos which really made it so that they could say like oh you hear a wind gust above like your left the left quadrant of your head and then you know you hear like a shooting star on the right side they really um were able to localize where sounds were just actually incredible and again adds even further to the sensory experience of going to the movies and experiencing a movie mm-hmm. and telling a story i mean you i guess you could tell a story before without sound but once again i could not imagine telling a story without sound in 2020 right yeah now i think it's really powerful when you watch something and they like to do it a lot after like big explosions or some serious action moment where then you have it's not actual silence. It's like the ringing sound. Oh, yes. It's the experience that you would have as the listener. Right. And I think that's cool. But I do think that, that I, I wish we would explore the power of silence now because we're so inundated with constant noise throughout like a 90-minute experience. That is a good but... point, especially in action films. There's... Silent mm-hmm. it, with so much noise, silence can be quite powerful. And even as as an right. actor, I've learned that even just a few moments of silence, because we are inundated with so much noise all the time, mentally, emotionally, and orally. Mm-hmm. If that made any sense, I don't know, but it does. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> There's constant noise that sur- yeah. that surrounds us. Both in movies and just in our personal or professional lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so where does Willie, B- Willie D. Burton come in? He comes in at the first stage of audio production when he is he works on set as a production sound mixer. So he doesn't have to be involved in post, which is probably great because that's such a long time commitment. So he can like be on set for a few months for a feature and then move on to a new project, new experiences. And his role is like the lead sound person. So he would be in charge of the boom operator. And if there are other audio people on set, like he's the point person for the, for the department. And this is something that I learned that is so critical when I, I've only made myself produced one short film and Mm -hmm. I wish the sound was better because, or someone had told me because I was also an actor and I had on a heavy necklace and mm-hmm. my necklace kept hitting my lav mic. So mm. it was very difficult for us to use. Sorry, my computer keeps stinging. It was very difficult for us. <laughs> speaking of sound, <laughs> it's very difficult for us to use that, that audio. And I wish our sound person would have been hip to that. Yeah. I'm surprised that they weren't like, you know, I hear some some metal clanging or whatever material noise every time you move. <laughs> I guess I didn't pay him enough for that. It was on a budget. So it was an indie <laughs> budget. So it was like, well, yeah, <laughs> we'll deal yeah, with that's it. frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I've been in this similar position where I'm like, I, I mean, I wish it was better, but I also know that I'm operating within limited means. So, I mean, I guess. It is what it is. Exactly. But it is. it it can be a very precise art to Mm -hmm. it as far as wardrobe and 
atmospheric sounds as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the production sound mixer has a little mixing device, which would have multiple inputs. So it would have like Talents Lab mics and the boom mic and whatever else could possibly be needed for a scene. And then they're like live mixing as as actors speak and as, I don't know if there's like some wind sound that they wanted to insert into it. So it's, it's definitely something that takes a lot of skill and attention to detail to to get the levels right and he's had a very long career so he is definitely doing it right yes yeah so uh willie's career started in hollywood in the 1970s and you know it's 2020 so (laughs) so (laughs) been a while he, he is a success yeah for sure and that he's still interested in doing that job i think is really cool because i feel like i would get bored of the same role after a certain amount of time but i think that's just my personality mm-hmm. yeah i i would i would agree but i guess he also gets to work on different projects so it's kind of not the same even though right it is the same job <laughs> yeah yeah you get to work with new people and have new challenges and it's, it's been something he's always wanted to do uh, based on the, the bio that I read of him. I mean, this man was mm-hmm. born in Alabama at a time when those sorts of opportunities weren't even available to right. black people. And he moved just to move. He moved to California just so he could have more opportunity and worked his way all the way up. Mm hmm. Yeah, he. Burton wanted to work in broadcasting after studying electronics at Compton City College, but Hollywood was like, oh yeah, well, you have to be in the union, which isn't an easy thing to do. It also costs money, so to join the union is a lot of work itself, and in 1969, Burton was accepted in the Sound Technicians Union, which I think is now part of IATSE, but I couldn't quite figure out, like, what happened to the union that existed in the 70s. Hmm. But he was the first black man and, like, the only black person for a while who was in the union. Right, which is is not surprising. Actually, recently, um, Ayatsi, is that how you say the... um, The union? The union. That's how I hear other people say it. Okay. Uh, Because I was just like, I-A-T-S-E, but Ayatsi is a lot easier to say. (laughs) So... (laughs) So they recently um, acknowledged, which I think everyone is having an, an awakening uh, so many years late, but all of these right. organizations and unions are like, you know what? We could have done a better job at helping with the racial disparities that exist in our union. And this he's one of the examples of this. I mean, he joined in 1969, but was the first mm-hmm. black man. And I don't know if you know how many black people are involved in the particular uh sound part of uh Iyatsi, but i'm sure it's not that many still because even in other areas uh makeup and hair which we desperately need more black people <laughs> in the union for that right i have shown up many times to a set and they just are like yeah your hair looks good they don't even touch it I'm like, oh, okay, well, what? <laughs> I'm spending, like, you know, an hour on her hair. What about me? Mm-hmm. Like, it looks right. fine. I'm like, all right, this is sad. 
<laughs> and you're like, all right, it's because you don't know what, what to do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I actually couldn't find any data on like sound department demographics, not by race or by gender or even just like 4% of people working in the industry are in sound. Like there is no statistics that could be found and that's, maybe Ayatsi has some and it's just hiding it i don't know but i'm sure <laughs> but i'm sure that's find. very telling that you couldn't find any probably because they don't look so good yeah yeah <laughs> that's probably <laughs> accurate they'd be like oh yeah we don't want anyone to know right um <laughs> so you know he joins the union in 1969 and then he's working on some tv series throughout the 70s um, until 1975 film Let's Do It Again by Sidney Poitier, which it's kind of cool that that's like his first feature and then his career just keeps going after that. Yes, that was um, definitely a great get for him to be introduced. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure it probably helped that Let's Do It Again was a Sidney Poitier film, a film done by a black man who gave another black man an opportunity. Mm hmm. So, um, yeah, he's, it opened, <laughs> it, 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 he, it opened the door mm-hmm. and it was nice that I, it was I feel opened like, by another black man. <laughs> I feel like that's something that we still see today, like, because Hollywood, well, the industry as a whole, including Hollywood, but also independently, um, it's very much like those in charge hire people that look like them, which is largely white and male. So... I see, like, the more opportunities I've received have been by women in the industry, and I'm sure that's, like, the case across the board is that white dudes aren't aren't giving opportunities. Well, also, white dudes know other white dudes. A lot of their circle doesn't include black people, so they, not. I mean, and I'm not even making an excuse. That's what it is. They need to expand expand their circle. So Mm -hmm. they don't know black people. They don't have it networked, maybe sometimes mm-hmm. on purpose or they're not interested or, you know, it's just not in their world. And so that's, <laughs> yeah, I, that's what happens. <laughs> I think you're right. Like I was working for a creative agency and for different projects, I'd recommend people that we haven't hired before um, because, you know, the higher ups say we want more diverse people on set, which is a great thing to say, but you have to hire them also. So I, I would find myself really frustrated that I'd be like, check out this like female sound mixer or like this person um, in the LGBTQ plus community who, who like is a really great assistant director or whatever. And then they'd end up hiring the same people that they've always hired who are just white men. And I'd be like, why, why do you even say that you want diverse applicants if you're not going to look at them? Because it sounds good coming out of their mouth. That's it does, why. but it's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and it's also really easy to see that they don't mean it. You know, I think that's what's so annoying is that words mean nothing if there's no action behind them. Agreed, which is a lot of what's happening right now. It's like, well, mm-hmm. we took out all these blackface episodes from all these shows. It's yeah. like, that's really not what we're asking for right now. Um, <laughs> we're looking and for like, jobs. We, we fixed. We, yeah, they're like, we, we solved racism because we removed some 30 rock episodes. Exactly. That's no. It's not going to get anybody a job now. That's not no. helping. 
Okay, that makes you all look good like you're doing something, but it's very performative. And it's great to have a diversity and inclusion initiative, but it doesn't mean anything, like you said, if you're actually not going to take action towards the initiative. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of words that we are hearing. Hopefully it does turn into something like when the industry comes back in possibly 2021. Like <sighs> it'd be interesting to see how, how what actions are actually taken then. Yeah. It is. But let's talk more about how awesome Willie is. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> nine of the films he's worked on so far have been nominated for awards, which include the Shawshank Redemption and he received that nomination in 1994, and then he also received a nomination and won the Oscar for Best Sound Mixing for Dreamgirls, which came out in 2006. So that was his, that was the Oscar win that he had. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yeah. But to have nine of them nominated for Sound Awards is pretty cool because I don't know that the Sound Awards are even aired when they do the award shows. I think that's something that you like see online the next day. Oh, you might be right. That's like the pre-taped awards that they give out. What a right. bummer. Because they're... <laughs> I know. <laughs> you won the Oscar, but it won't be televised. Sorry. No one's going to see your acceptance speech. But thank you for your time. Yeah. It's been very important for this film. Right. Which would not You've have won. work. <laughs> if they didn't have sound. Right. Yep. Yeah. And Dreamgirls, really, it's like all about vo- vocals. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an important one for sound for sure um some other thing things that he's done it seems like he's really interested in educating people on sound he wrote an article in 2011 for a yahtzee where he goes on a trip to africa as part of an educational exchange program yeah this was an interest sorry oh i'm sorry Ooh, I cut you no off. no <laughs> no it's okay i was just gonna say like it what was interesting to me probably most was that you know he's like four decades into his career already and in the article he's like oh I wasn't sure that I should join this program because I you know the first half of the year I didn't have I think he said any work which is crazy to me that you you have so much experience and even an Oscar and you're still struggling to find work in the industry mm-hmm. yeah it's a crazy it's it was a illustration that this is a crazy unpredictable business and even a successful oscar winner who has worked on dozens and dozens of films still waiting for someone to say to call them and say hey are you available for work right yeah i was like that's it's crazy to be so so skilled in your industry that like big wig directors call on you for their films and you still have a lull yeah, but but it was also interesting uh, that in the article that it is true as soon as you book travel or are prepared to mm-hmm. do something else in the entertainment industry, that is exactly when you get a call for a job offer or an audition. It never, ever, ever <laughs> fails. It has happened to me multiple times. I don't know if it's happened to you, but I mean, I, I've been... I went to on a trip to Hawaii and had to miss work once for that. And I think in Costa Rica also I, I missed something. But just any trip. <laughs> wow. No, mine is more like I get a job that's maybe for a couple of days and then another one's offered that's a longer duration. And I'm like, man, I already said yes to this first one and I don't want to like 
burn bridges for this other opportunity. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a bummer, too, because it's all about relationships. So mm -hmm. you definitely don't want to to burn bridges and you want to keep your commitment. It's just like a scheduling nightmare to work in the entertainment yeah. industry, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you, you're not allowed to make plans to go on vacation. And then once you get a job, you know, everyone's going to start calling you as soon as you're busy. It's, it uh, is, it is, it's like the universe knows. Universe always knows, always knows. <laughs> um, and so another interview or interview, he wrote the article for Ayatsi in 20, 2011, but then he has an interview with sound and picture where he discusses what it's like working on the help, which is filmed mostly on location in Mississippi. And I'm sure, as you know, just from your experience on set, like there there are constantly airplanes. There's some kind of noise interference, no matter where you're shooting. Mm -hmm. Even in studios sometimes, because people like to chit chat. <laughs> yes, so sound everywhere. Mm -hmm. So he was saying that um, despite that cicadas killed the exterior shoots, made it really hard. He said, you know, it helped keep him focused because you have all these mics running around. You got to pay attention to external noise interference. And really seems like he, he likes the challenge of, of the, I guess, like sound problems so that he can stay sharp. That's good. I, definitely people who work in sound hear things differently. And this the amount of skill that it would take to work around cicadas just literally <laughs> and figuratively. I mean, I would be just totally grossed out that <laughs> in multiple yeah. ways because he's hearing them. They're, they're not only actually there, he's hearing them magnified. Right. Yep. And he's got to work around him as part of work around that sound and capture all mm -hmm. of the different inputs from all of that was a huge cast. So from all mm -hmm. of the different actors, and put it together to make it sound like it's seamless because that's the skill right if it's right. done a good job as a sound editor if nobody notices you're working your work right. i should say yep. yes which you know that's a telltale sign of some of these like short indie films that i see i'm like oh man the audio is just killing me yeah <laughs> yeah I've, I've seen i've seen a few as well and i and my own <laughs> I'm yeah, like, oh. yeah, my own as well. Also, could have done better. <laughs> like <than> you, <laughs> it's hard because you, you know you do have to you try to do what you can with with what you have, and sometimes it's still disappointing. Absolutely. So, so that also means he's under a tremendous amount of pressure in mm -hmm. that position because if you're shooting on location, you could yeah. obviously always go back and do the. Uh, Dubbing, what's it called? ADR. Thank you. Woo, ADR. I'm an I'm an expert in this, y'all. You could go back, <laughs> go back to the ADR, but I've I've done ADR. It it costs money, so that adds to the budget. Mm -hmm. You have to then yep. work with the scheduling of all the people to get them back to do it, and mm -hmm. ideally, you don't want to have to do ADR on a film. So that's like <laughs> a tremendous amount of pressure on him to try to get it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of work uh, that he has to handle on set. I would certainly not be cut out for it. No, me neither. It's 
No. The the minutiae would drive me insane. Yeah, and I feel like my attention span would just kind of forget that I'm supposed to be listening for noise. <laughs> exactly. You just it take would... it for granted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so props to him for for digging his career and like keeping the challenges or having letting the challenges excite him rather than just I guess frustrate. Exactly. Um, something that was cool in looking at his biography and, and his his work is that a few years ago in twenty fifteen he was crowdfunding for what would have been his directorial debut. Um, but I found the campaign, it didn't really raise a whole lot and I'm not really sure if that is like there weren't really any postings either so I'm not really sure if they like if the campaign wasn't really necessary or if they already had funds from like people they know in the industry or what happened with it but it's still listed in development on IMDb so maybe it's just still um, in the works uh, hopefully, it's sometimes it takes ten years to get these things made because you, there's so many moving parts. There, it mm. is hard to raise money to make anything, and if you want to do a really good job, it takes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope he does get an opportunity to sort of spread his wings and get this film put out and have his directorial debut because he certainly worked on enough films to know right. what what goes into it and i think being involved in the one of the things that is so specific and so precise directing would probably be i don't know not as hard maybe i've never been a director so that's maybe be an incorrect <laughs> assumption but managing all of the parts and being involved in all the parts is mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going with this point, actually, but you see what I'm trying. <laughs> I've gone on a tangent. I don't know where I'm going. Help me, Tuesday. <laughs> um, I was gonna say his experience working in sound. It is very detail oriented, but I think probably what's really helpful is how closely he'll work with actors that he's miking and then paying attention to how they deliver their lines and whether takes are good or not is something that he would also take note of, um, just in terms of audio quality. So I was thinking that probably would really transition well to directing because you're already familiar with what makes a good performance from actors, at least in terms of the auditory performance. Mm. And yeah, he's been on set, you know, so much that, and he's worked with great directors that I'm sure he's absorbed information and experience from them. Yes, that was what I was trying to get to. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, well put. Thank you. Um, But yeah, I thought it was super cool that he's like working on directing and producing. He's listed on IMDb as a producer on um, a project that's in pre-production titled MLK, The Gary Revel Story. And it's about the investigator who was trying to figure out who assassinated Martin Luther King Jr. That sounds like an amazing plot. I would, I hope that comes to fruition. Yeah. That, I would like to know who assassinated MLK Jr., wouldn't you? Yeah. And I mean, I feel like the government knows. I know. Or, <laughs> or is it the government Tuesday? Or is it the government right. who assassinated yeah. MLK Jr.? Maybe, the, maybe it will never come out because they don't want the truth revealed. Oh, conspiracy. Dun, dun, dun. C-O-N-spiracy. 
Yeah. Well, listen, uh, they they did a movie over who I think they've done several movies over who assassinated JFK. So I think MLK deserves one. Because yeah, probably the same person so. that assassinated them both. Uh oh, I just disappeared. I don't we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I think he does deserve a story. So hopefully it does come out in the next few years and we can learn even more about uh, our corrupt system. Yes, because if what if we if you've learned nothing <laughs> in these last in this last month, it is that we did not learn a lot that we should have in school. No, we surely didn't. So, uh, in- and what we learned in school was heavily whitewashed, and some of it's not even true. Exactly, we've been sold a lie. I mean, we need to start we all over again. Oh, we do. Yeah. But back to the episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Here we are. Um, so we're wrapping up uh, about Willie Burton's career, and then we'll talk about editing and Joy McMillan. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few more interesting notes is that, as I said earlier, despite there being more um, reports on, like, the diversity breakdown in Hollywood, sound has been excluded. I couldn't find any d- data, um, not from like the Gina Davis Institute or, or um, the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. Like none of these talked about sound at all. Hmm. Um, so, I, like we can only really guess based on our experience on set. Like I have ninety nine percent of the time worked with white dudes in the sound department, and like. Once I got to work with a woman, and that was awesome because it's rare, and she was just chill. You have to hire people. You have to hire <laughs> – I mean, that's it. You yeah. Have, you have to hire people and know that they can do the job because if someone mm-hmm. is recommending them, they can do the job more than likely, and, right. they have a, and they have a resume. It's just like anyone else, but for some reason, they just – can't take that mental leap to think that anyone else mm-hmm. outside of their own little bubble can do these things. Yeah, and I think it would also be helpful because, like, I've been on set where the um, sound mixer was, like, an older guy, and the, he had to mic kids, and he would just ask, like, a woman on set to do the miking for him because he, you know, like, didn't want to invade, I guess, the space of mm-hmm. A child but it still is like well maybe we should have women like more women in this role if like actors and children are more comfortable with them you know like putting mics on their person that's a great point i think that that would benefit from some diversity because i have had a lot of times where they just ask me to do it myself i'm like well i don't even mm-hmm. know if i'm doing this right i have to clip it onto my bra you know, right. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm an actor. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So I, I would agree. I, I would say also my experience is the same as yours. The majority of um, sound people that I've worked with have been white men. I do recall working with one white woman and I've worked with one South Asian man. <laughs> but isn't that crazy to be like, I've worked on you know, numerous projects and one or two of them, you can pinpoint someone who was not the quote unquote norm. Mm -hmm. It is, it is sad. Mm -hmm. Very sad. And there is a lot of, a lot of work to be done 
internally by the people that are in charge. Uh, but not, not to go off on a huge tangent, which I know that's all we've been doing. But Lord, the, in, the industry <laughs> is so troubled. I saw this article about the, I think it was called Class Photos. I don't know if you saw this article, but it showed the leaders or studio heads people in charge at Disney, NBC Universal, Viacom, mm-hmm. Comcast, all those companies. And it was predominantly older white men. There were a sprinkling, mm-hmm. sprinkling of women, sprinkling mm-hmm. of people of color, very few black people. Right. And no wonder things are the way they are. The people at the top making the decisions are dinosaurs. I mean, sorry to say, that's <laughs> what it is. It's true. It's true, though. Like, we see um, when there is diversity in, like, executive producer roles or producer roles and director roles that the crew reflects a more diverse, um, like, variety of people. It's not just, uh, hi, I'm, like, uh your regular, I don't know why I'm putting on this voice, <laughs> like your regular white dude director. And uh, therefore, all the set, it's just like a boys club. Exactly. Um, it's who It's who they know. It's, it's like a Judd Apatow movie. Yeah. And I will say it's also not great when it's like white women in charge because we know that they um, benefit from the system that's in place. So then it becomes kind of a girls club and so white women hello i'm one of them it we can do better too <laughs> yes i i agree yeah. um but it's it's better than an all boys club mm-hmm. but there is definitely a lot of work to do yeah i won't still even not great get into white feminism <laughs> because that is just in some that's ways, a whole podcast trying to its own. i know trying to just emulate a boys club <laughs> you know right with white women mm-hmm. oh god we, yeah yeah we see the videos of karen's <laughs> we'll say again <laughs> i said we see the videos of karen's oh okay. we don't need them in charge either <laughs> exactly so it, there's a lot of work to be done and um, mm-hmm. i think people can just start expanding their networking it on the on the smallest level just know some black people uh and know yeah. them, know some other people of color, some black indigenous people of color. And that mm-hmm. will be, that will already change several degrees what the industry is happening because people just stay within their circles that they don't feel like they need to know yeah. other people, that they'll benefit from knowing other people. But life is so much more interesting when you know other people. I know. It is so true. <laughs> um, some... Final tidbit on Willie Burton. So his IMDb lists 138 credits for Sound Mixer, which is a lot of work. Wow. And they include, as we mentioned, The Shawshank Redemption, Dreamgirls, and The Help. But it also includes Man on Fire, the movie Seven, The Green Mile, The Pursuit of Happiness, and like a ton of other blockbuster movies. So, yes. Willie you know another Burton. thing? Know his name. Yeah, know his name. And I think it also speaks to, like, broaden the kind of movies that you watch (laughs) and who those leads are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So now that that was um, depressing, let's move on (laughs) to to something 
else depressing, and that's editing. Um, so we'll talk about Joy McMillan, who, it, who really came onto the scene like 2016 to the public eye, but she had been working um, like a decade prior to that. But until Moonlight, no one knew who she was, which I guess makes sense because post-production is really not thought about at all it it isn't i mean even as an actor i didn't think about post-production until i actually again did my my little 10 minute short film and i was like well mm-hmm. this this is where the movie is made yeah it, it really is like you could have shot you know a comedy but if you don't talk with your editor and they don't know they could make it a drama you know it's absolutely and it takes longer. So much power. The post-production process oftentimes takes longer than the actual shooting of the footage. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Takes, I mean, we see that, like, feature films will sometimes take, let's say, three to four months to film. And then if they filmed it, let's say, 2020, you see that the film's probably not going to get released to 2022 or 2023 because they have to edit, possibly do ADR, add special effects, and... All the parts. Figure out licensing and, yeah, all all kinds of extra work that that we don't really think about. Yeah, but it is truly where the movie is made. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the background of it, you, you know, if you're listening, you'll probably be annoyed to learn that editing was considered women's work (laughs) in the early 1900s because the sewing machine... Uh, at the sewing machine because the editing machine resembled a sewing machine and they also were like it's a it's a simple task you just like cut the film strip and reattach it so like even a woman can do it you know I was so surprised to read this so I <laughs> I was like wow oh I mean <laughs> paint, painting women into a corner as soon as they could as part of the movie making process However, I was mm-hmm. excited that at least women were involved, which was right. nice. And I kept reading, and I don't know if you know more about this term, but they kept calling it below the line, which am I, th- the, this kind of work is below the line. So it's not considered creative. It's considered technical. Right. Um, but, which is kind of interesting because we still use the term today to be like below the line is essentially crew on set. And then, like, above the line is directors, actors, uh, producers, I think, sometimes are up there. Right. But it's all, so we it's still all creative. Do, yeah. But we, we don't res- respect all departments <laughs> as, as they should be. That's a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So women, women actually, like, dominated the post-production department until sound arrived. So, again, you know, sound has pros and cons, I suppose. Because then um, studio executives were like, whoa, hold on. We can make big money off movies. This is no longer an art form. It's a business. And so women held less and less roles once film became considered a business. Which, you know, if you thought the depression was going to end, it's just kind of I know. More bad news, but we need to we need to know our history so that people now want like how did we get here? Well, we've always mm-hmm. been here. We were here from the very beginning, 
And yeah. by here, I mean yeah. not here. We were not here from the very beginning because <laughs> they did not want to ha- us to have a seat at the table right from the start. Yeah. Like the 1930s saw a decline in women in editing. And even to today, like we say that their numbers are pretty low. But editing from up from like the advent of film until about the 70s was done in a more linear manner so you know the film is on reels and they just kind of edit in order of how things were shot because it's easier than trying to pull out the fourth reel that was shot just to get a scene from there and because I feel like if I talk any more technical I'm going to lose people I'm going to leave that as is (laughs) and just say we went to digital in the 80s and 90s um which allowed for nonlinear editing. So now, you know, you have the footage on a hard drive as we edit today, and you can just be like, oh, yeah, I like that scene. I can take 20 seconds from it, click into something else, take another 30 seconds, and it's so much easier now. Yeah, I, again, could not imagine the difficulty having to, well, first, prior to digital film editing, I can't even... <laughs> fathom yeah. the difficulty <laughs> of dealing with that whole process but not to mm-hmm. be able to to having to edit linearly I don't even know what that means I mean honestly <laughs> yeah I think like I think that would take so much patience because you're like okay we're gonna watch you know like the 10 takes that were shot this morning and pick out the best one and then watch the afternoon's takes or whatever because they would edit, I think, I could be wrong because I didn't double check this, but I feel like there are editors who would be working as they're shooting so that at the end of the day or in the morning, there is um, they can review the footage, mm-hmm. which is going to be a lot of work if you're like waiting for film rolls to come to you and then you're going to watch the hours of what was just shot to pull out what works. Right. And then potentially but, go from there. But they don't do, they don't still do that today. Like watch dailies and then discuss. I don't think it's possible, but it hasn't happened on anything I've worked on that they've watched dailies. Okay. Cause I, I know in TV they do dailies cause TV goes so quickly, mm-hmm. but that's all I know. Cause I'm an actor. So I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know anything I else. Think because I, most of what I've worked on has been more like documentary focused, so they haven't done that at all. And then if it's like an independent project, there's no budget for that, so that hasn't ever happened. So probably, if I had worked on regular television, maybe I would know. <laughs> you know, we'll do a, a update to this episode after we've both done episodic network television. You know, yeah. I as an actor you as an assistant (laughs) director and we will come together and confirm this yeah we'll be like update Update. they still do dailies (laughs) update it's still happening (laughs) um maybe we we could ask joy mcmillan because she had some tv experience we can ask her it's a great segue is this we we just did an episode on you uh (laughs) you help us how does it work (laughs) piece this together Yeah, um, but I did find data for for editing um, of the top 300 films from 2016 to 2018. White men accounted for 79.9 percent of editors. Mm-hmm. White women accounted for another 14.4 percent. 
leaving like 5.7% for people of color, men and women is like less, less than 6% men and women are um, editors. Wow. Men and women of color, let me specify, is less than 6%. And, but to join Macmillan's credit, 1.4% of the editors on those top 300 films were women of color. So she is really groundbreaking to be in sort of the public eye now for her, for her editing experience. Yes. I mean, 1.4, 1.4% women of color and Joy McMillan is a, is a black woman. So that's probably even mm-hmm. smaller if you break it down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Break that if we out. had more of like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's like half a percent. I, oh, geez, Louise. I mean, yeah. listen, we got work to do. I, I think also part of it is just like <laughs> people, people realizing that's, that's even a, a job opportunity, not to say the industry doesn't have work to do, because obviously the industry has a lot of work to do, but even just mm-hmm. presenting that as an option for a career, when, when schools have career days, they oftentimes right. don't have people from the entertainment industry coming to say, well, you could do these 500 jobs. There are so many jobs right. in the entertainment industry. And a lot of times editing or any of the behind the camera work, besides a director, is not highlighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Like, I think we know about cinematographers because of how closely they work with directors. But beyond that, you know, anything goes. We don't know anything else. Absolutely. And the editor works so closely with the the director. And mm-hmm. even sometimes I, I'm, I would assume the cinematographer to, to tell the story. So right. we need to let the kids know. It could be an editor, yeah. too. And then we need to let the studio heads know you could be a, a black woman and hire, hire us. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that in terms of just knowing that how, how important commuter, computer, not commuters, I don't know why I'm talking about commuters, um, but how important commuter, I'm going to keep saying it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to say computer science. There you go. Um, is and like we know how how important computers just and just being like savvy with tech is and so it would make more sense that at a career day they highlight things like you can be technically savvy and then and then this whole world of jobs opens up to you whether it's in entertainment or otherwise but I feel like we don't really talk about talk about that maybe to to students, I, I certainly didn't know that editing was a thing until I was into film school. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I learned much later than that, so. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I wasn't, I would not consider myself technically savvy, so. But there are lots of people who are who wouldn't know that editing is something that they could pursue. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, and again, it's one of those jobs, if you, if you do it well, Mm-hmm. You don't notice. You don't notice the editing of the film. You shouldn't notice the editing of the film. You shouldn't notice the cuts. That's mm-hmm. the job. That's the job. Yep. Yeah, that's what they say. Like, if you notice the editing, then they did not do a good job. Yeah. Um, but 
talking about this um, career day type thing, McMillan had planned to be a journalist when she was in high school and then went on a field trip to Universal Studios and realized editing was a possibility. And so she pursued that instead, which I think goes to your point. Like if, if you don't know an opportunity exists or a job exists, how do you know that that's what you want to do? True. You have, you have to see it to believe mm-hmm. that it's possible. Yeah. So it's cool that she was like, she was already kind of veering towards, you know, like film and television as a whole with journalism, but didn't quite have the job picked out. And then she went to school, became an assistant editor who worked on reality television in the early 2000s and then started editing, assistant editing feature films by 2007. What was kind of interesting to me is that comparing like her experience and then the co-editor on Moonlight is like they have very similar trajectories. Like he also had some TV credits in the early 2000s, but his IMDb experience is not nearly as lengthy as Joy's, mm-hmm. which I think is, again, indicative of the industry and how we view who's qualified and who's not qualified. Exactly. Yeah, because her, her co-editor on Moonlight is Nat Sanders, and he, mm-hmm. he is a white male. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yep. Probably a <laughs> yeah. bit easier for doors to open up for him versus her. It seems, just looking at her IMDb, she has a lot of assistant editor credits. So she mm-hmm. was repeating that same level over and over and over again before she was able to mm-hmm. get to the next level. Whereas yeah. he did not have as much trouble getting to the next right. level. Yeah, he's got like a couple assistant editor credits and then like lead editor credits. And she just had to work so much longer in roles that she was probably overqualified for by a certain point. Right. And she started out in reality TV. And that is... Mm-hmm all about editing as far as I'm concerned because you are really trying to cobble together a story that (laughs) maybe makes absolutely no sense but you are trying to create some drama you are trying to create Mm -hmm. suspense in sometimes things that are not that exciting yes yep I watch I have like a favorite reality tv show that I'm sure is mostly fake and most of the drama I'm sure also comes from editing and because they do it for even like the little snapshots before you go to commercials where you're like, oh, no, did they really say that? They right. didn't. It's the magic of editing. <laughs> exactly. So that is it, it probably helped her hone her skill really well mm-hmm. because she works uh, for she's uh, two and a half years in reality TV. Yeah. Yep. So she had said that she had only planned on being in reality TV to get her 100 days so she could join the Motion Pictures Editors Guild and then start working on features. But yeah, she ended up staying two and a half years, which I didn't see it presented as a choice or something that the industry like prevented her from moving to features. It was just kind of listed as like fact. She ended up staying two and a half years. Right. So it'd be interesting to see to talk to her one day, maybe, hopefully. Yeah. And yeah. how, that, how exactly that played out. You say, what is the truth? Right. 
Um, yeah, and she started editing short films on the side to gain, like, lead editor credits, which I, is something that is really prominent, I think, in the indie world. Like, you, you have a job maybe in the industry or otherwise, and then on the side you're gaining experience in the industry. And that's something she shouldn't have had to do because she already had her foot in the door, but likely because she is a woman of color, she still had to make these extra steps so that she can start becoming a lead editor and then a feature editor. Right. She had to work twice as hard. Yeah. Well, if not more. <laughs> no, I'm about to say, I still said that. I was like, if, if clearly more, this price is hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But she did. She um, was persistent. Mm-hmm. And um, had the opportunity to work on Moonlight. But I, I think it is also helpful to mention networking because she went to school with Barry Jenkins. Mm-hmm. That's how they met, right? They went to film school together. Yeah. At Florida State. I think that's the same with. Sanders, too. I think all three of them went to school together. Yes. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So networking is vitally important. Not that she didn't have the skill, but it is is who you know, and this benefited her, but that also just speaks to our earlier point of people's circles being who they hire from. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of wild because, like, she you know, started in the early 2000s. And so these connections didn't really come through for like 15 years, Oh, 12 to 15 years, you know, but it also could have taken just as long for Barry Jenkins to have as a black man in the industry. He was, he was making films steadily along the way, Mm -hmm. but you know, he opened the door for her when he got to the, Mm -hmm. he got his breakthrough moment, which he didn't realize was Mm -hmm. a breakthrough. I know Moonlight was a revelation and a beautiful film. (laughs) But wow. It yes. Yeah, that was a it Moonlight is a great film. If if someone listening hasn't seen it yet, they should just go watch it because it's a beautiful story. The cinematography is great. Oh, it's art. Truly. It it really is. It's good. Truly art. And I think that is also one of the movies that does take advantage of silence and stillness. Mm-hmm. I think one of the articles uh uh, was speaking about like there's a diner scene at the end for people who haven't seen it I don't want to no spoilers yeah, but spoiler silence, alert. <laughs> silence is so integral to the intimacy in that film mm-hmm. in, in that scene and she really honed in on that mm-hmm. and I think I mean we can also point to like having people whose experiences are different and perspectives are different really elevates art Yeah, I mean, that's what art is about. We don't want to keep seeing the same thing over and over and over again. And any sort of... Sorry, Marvel. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) but kind of tired of all those movies. Absolutely. It's... it's, (laughs) The franchise. It's time to move on. So... (laughs) (laughs) I love Black Panther. Um, Don't get me wrong, but... (laughs) Right. But yeah, we we need more than just... A film every couple of years that's not starring white folks. Right. This was a film about need more than black people. This is a film about LGBTQIs, film about mm-hmm. love and relationships and intimacy and growing up. It was it was everything. And it was mm-hmm. centered on a on black people and people and people just their eyeballs want to see different things. If you're no matter who you are, 
So I think that was also exciting because that yeah. was the like, first rep- time. Representation yeah. matters. It it so does. Yep. Um, final cool thing, though, about Joy McMillan's experience is that, so Moonlight is her first, like, co-editor credit, and she received an Oscar nomination for it. Yes, she was nominated for an Oscar. She was, was she the first, she was the first black woman to ever mm-hmm. be nominated in this category. Yep. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. So then I did some some digging and was like, okay, how many times have women won the Oscars for Best Film Editing? And um, over the course of 85 years, women won Best Film Editing 11 times, and three of those 11 times was the same person, Thalma Schoonmaker. Okay. Schoonmaker. Um, But that's like, okay, 11 times white women have won in the course of 85 years. So by the time 2016 rolls around, Joy McMillan's the first black woman just to be nominated is really alarming at how slow this industry is to diversify it is very telling and hopefully again even having joy mcmillan be nominated and a young person seeing seeing her in that field will have inspired them to Mm -hmm become an editor and also hopefully her being nominated will inspire a studio head a showrunner to say oh yeah oh yeah black women can edit film <laughs> which is like women of color can of... edit film anyone can edit film not just white guys <laughs> yeah it's like it's really frustrating that that has to be that people working in studios don't think outside of this very i guess white box it's mm-hmm. like if you have any storytelling skills, which obviously Joy McMillan does because she's done great work, just, you know, hire them. Exactly. People need to free their free their mind in more ways <laughs> <Yeah>. than one. <laughs> she uh, did also point out in one of the interviews that she's worked with Maisie Hoy, who has edited 15 Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry movies, so she... And um, Joy worked with her for nine of those 15 movies, which is also kind of wild. It is like, wild. that's a lot of work. That's <laughs> so much work she's done. I am a huge fan of Tyler Perry and him creating mm-hmm. opportunities for black people in this industry when other, when they weren't able to get opportunities. He has created an entire empire supporting mm-hmm. black artists and giving us the opportunities that were not there. So when people say, well, I don't understand why you all need this separate thing. This is exactly why. Because sometimes we are the only ones that give each other the opportunities to be seen. Right. And he has mm-hmm. he has done that. And um, he is an, amazing for that. He has an entire studio. Most directors and writers cannot say they have their own studio. Mm-hmm. So he is creating creating opportunities he is yeah he's a powerhouse in his own right but yeah so both joy and willie had they're having successful careers basically despite the odds right despite the odds and that is the odds are immensely stacked against the favor of 
of people of color and specifically black mm. people because these are two black people who are in overlooked industries they're in underrepresented groups and they mm-hmm. have found their way to oscar willie d burton actually winning an oscar but being nominated several mm-hmm. times and joy also being nominated as the first black woman to ever be nominated for editing mm-hmm. and i'm sure we'll see her win an oscar in like the next hopefully in the next five years because she definitely has skills that can't be denied i hope so too she uh is she worked on recently zola which is a movie that was at Sundance that hasn't come out yet, but it's based on that uh, <laughs> Twitter story about the the woman who, I think she went to Florida for some sort of strip job. Strip job. That is not even the right way to describe it. <laughs> strip job. Hi. I'm a young person. <laughs> for an opportunity <laughs> to be, to make a lot of money in a weekend as a stripper. I think that's the storyline. Yeah. And I okay. can't wait to see that movie because I read that Twitter thread and it was riveting. I am completely out of the loop, so I'll have to read the Twitter thread and then get excited for the movie. But she also uh, worked on If Beale Street Could Talk, which is currently on Hulu. Yes. If anyone wants to watch uh, romance. That is a good reminder. Romance. History. It's based mm-hmm. on a James Baldwin novel. Everyone should be reading mm-hmm something right now because all, <laughs> yes. all we have is time read a book yep. <laughs> watch this movie yeah. get educated mm-hmm. and see some of joy mcmillan's work come out of quarantine with a better wider view of the world it would behoove you if if you haven't learned anything from being in this quarantine mm-hmm Maybe you've been asleep this whole time because there's. <laughs> We've been at home, but there has there has been more that has happened. <laughs> Someone who went on like some backpacking trek with no cell phone is is the only is the only person with an excuse. I think that that is it because any, anybody else, yeah. there has been more that has happened in this in the last what? How long have we been in this quarantine now? Four months since March. So oh god, March, April, May. June, June and coming up on our fifth month, I guess we're starting our fifth month. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Yes. I think more has happened than the whole 2019 in these five months. I think you're right. It's it's like every day you wake up and if you check the news, you go, oh my goodness, like, will it ever end? It won't. (sighs) No. So while we're quarantined and watching all these things on streaming services and movies. Mm-hmm. I hope people are, have learned a little bit more about a couple of the people who actually help get these projects completed. Mm-hmm. And the challenge. Yeah, I think like their stories are really inspiring, but at the same time, it isn't because Hollywood is so like anti-progress. So it's like it is inspiring that they've been successful despite the odds stacked against them. But it's also like depressing that the industry is over 100 years old and we're still pushing for there to be more than like 2% representation in in some departments. It is 
it is interesting because, and just not to go back to Green Book, but I have to go back to Green Book. It's all right. <laughs> Green Book won Best Picture. Now, because Hollywood loves nothing better than to pat themselves on the back for a job well done. Mm -hmm. Right. So when Green Book won Best Picture, it was like, we did it. We have solved racism. <laughs> Green Book won. And it was the most ironic <laughs> moment for, I think, me, you, and probably a lot of people. Because it's like, this mm -hmm. is exactly the problem. <laughs> and it's right. still continuing. And in fact, it should have magnified the issue. This was not, that was not the movie Hollywood needed. And it further proved there is so much work to be done. And we have also prove that in this episode and they are proving it themselves mm -hmm. every single day by doing these performative things that have not moved the needle of progress did it moonlight won best picture i think in 2016 moonlight won but green book was a different year yeah green book was 2018 but it's kind of interesting that like moonlight was so groundbreaking and one best picture in 2016 and then two years later hollywood's still like oh, look what we did though two steps forward two steps back <laughs> yeah they're, they're like we know we know moonlight was actually a good movie but let's make one that just makes us feel good about ourselves now exactly exactly yep. which is probably also going back to your point of people asking you, do you have any recommendations? You're giving them recommendations mm -hmm. for people who are in diverse and underrepresented groups. And so they felt good asking you the question, but they really just went mm -hmm. back behind and were like, but we're actually just gonna hire the person we were gonna hire anyway, that we already know. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's really frustrating. One of the final notes I have in here is that like, actively requesting quote unquote qualifications that allow those in managerial roles to rule out a lot of people who are qualified um, is like not a great way to do business because we see that with the case of Joy McMillan. She had so, so, so many assistant editor credits that she is more than qualified to be a lead editor. But I'm sure people were like, oh, well, we see that you don't have any lead editor credits despite, you know, 40 assistant editor credits. So, so we're not going to hire you. Well, it's clearly, this, this is not a merit-based industry. It's, it's mm -mm. who you know. It's not what you know. If anyone has been on Twitter, which I probably need to be on Twitter less, honestly, taking over my life. I, me too. But yeah. <laughs> Lena Dunham was able to have not a, really a pitch. She had no pitch for girls, but she was given that opportunity by HBO. And the creators of Game of Thrones were given the, <laughs> the opportunity to make... Oh that yes. show and they <laughs> had no idea what they were doing and they even said it themselves they admitted that so these are just facts mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we see like Issa Rae which I know we'll talk about in like a future episode but that she she like had her own web series on YouTube so she had work to show that she could do something and then she received the opportunity from HBO which is in contrast to like Lena and the game of thrones dudes who's like how do you have no real work to show and you're getting an opportunity with hbo exactly she raised money created an entire following and web series all by herself and then when mm -hmm. she was looking to further expand to offer it to networks they put her through a lot and again we're gonna talk about that in a later episode mm -hmm. But she had to jump yeah. through many, many, many hoops to get 
mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, Insecure at HBO that these other people did not have to deal with. Right. Yep. Because privilege and Hollywood are like holding hands. <laughs> That's right. Privilege is kidding. Yeah. Yes. And again, we do pretend that it's a merit-based industry when in reality it isn't. Because if it was, we would see a lot of talented people um, being executive producers at networks instead of just like the good old boys club or whatever. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, I would just only correct you in saying it's not we. It's it's not you and I, because I think you and I are very aware of the deficiencies. It's them. It's they. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's not us it's you all yes <laughs> those people over there studio heads <laughs> and showrunners yeah yeah that's a good final point um if you if you're in a position to bring inclusivity into your department and you're asking for diverse recommendations actually hire those people don't just say you're interested in doing so agreed that is is a great button to this episode because it is truly diverse diverse eyeballs diverse thoughts diverse points of view that enrich any project Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely do you have any final notes before we wrap up and tell everyone how to find you on social media how to hire you (laughs) oh yes Call me. My number is now. I'm kidding. I'm not giving out my number. um, (laughs) I am on all of the socials. So I'm on Facebook. Although, don't contact me on Facebook. Contact me on Instagram. I have have two accounts. uh, Spinkit. S-P-I-N-K-E-T-T. Where sometimes I do interesting things. Or Afro Chronicles. Where I take pictures of my Afro and different places although i'm going nowhere right now so i'm a little (laughs) little stagnant but if you want to take a look at where i've been you can check that afro chronicles on face uh sorry instagram or i'm on twitter just retweeting and liking all sorts of wacky stuff at my afro chronicle (laughs) (laughs) and my my website is shaunapinkett.com or spinkettspinkett.com that's so funny. I would have said S Pink It, and then when you said Spank It, I was like, oh, you can say it as a word. <laughs> say it as a word. My friends call me Spank It. That's cute. Yeah. We, yeah, we'll put links so that um, if, I don't know, someone is having trouble spelling Spank It. Right. S P I N K E T T. That's Spank It. That's my OnlyFans, so we don't want to talk about that. Oh. Right <laughs> but yeah we'll put links in there so so people can find you and and see your work and what you're up to yeah and what your afro's up to yes please (laughs) see what my afro's up to hire me um this has really been a a pleasure tuesday thank you so much for inviting me to be part of film betty's i have enjoyed talking to you and i have learned a lot myself about um these wonderful people in the industry who do very important work and mm-hmm. just highlighting them and even highlighting to myself to that there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of ways for us to uh, uplift each other and uplift ourselves mm-hmm. 
thank you for learning with me and yeah i look forward to to our next episode dun, 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 dun. <laughs>